The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, 11 a.m. in Cairo, Egypt. And here is your top five at five stocks trying to make a comeback after one red-hot area of the market taking a nosedive. Fears of any delayed return to normal, rearing their ugly heads once again. Falling short, new concerns that Johnson & Johnson may not meet its goal of 20 million COVID vaccines by the end of the month. This is the EU introduces new export curbs on its own vaccine stores. GameStop. Shares of GameStop sinking after results failed to deliver and maybe the most talked about stock on the street. Cash, credit, or crypto? Elon Musk making the Bitcoin buying experience a reality with his cars. And perhaps the world's biggest traffic jam. Literally, a massive ship spinning sideways and blocking the entire Suez Canal. We'll show you. It is Wednesday, March 24th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Hope you're having a good Wednesday wherever you may be. We're going to get to more on that Suez story in a bit. It could create huge new headaches at a time when shipping is already face- facing massive headaches and disruptions. Before that, though, let's get a check on your money this morning. Futures, they are slightly higher. Dow futures up about 77. Technology looking decidedly better. NASDAQ futures up 130 points right now. Now, this follows a tough day on Tuesday. Nearly everything was down. Some saying the Recent strength that we have seen simply cannot continue. Markets may be likely technically overbought. Either way, yesterday, pretty much all the major averages declined, including the small caps. Now, they have been red hot. In fact, maybe running a little bit too hot the last couple of months. They cooled off in a big way yesterday. The Russell 2000 dropping more than 3.5%. That was its worst day since all the way back in June of 2020. We're watching Small caps. By the way, the iShares Russell 2000 ETF, the IWM, following that index, making a sharp move lower as well. Just watch the small caps out there. They've been red hot. We'll see if they bounce back and maybe just had a little bit of an overbought sell-off. You've also got to watch oil. Speaking of hot, it has been tanking the last few days after starting the year off with a boom. All this as Europe, most of it, locks down once again. And yesterday, dropping 6% for oil to its lowest level since early February. Now, oil is still higher on the year, as are most of the energy and oil and gas stocks. But certainly, it is something to watch there. WTI crude, a little bit of tick up now, up $1.25 to $59.02. But we are watching energy, oil, and gas. In fact, we'll get to more on that with the guests in just a moment. All right, around the world, a mostly lower session overnight in Asia. They followed us lower, the Hang Seng and the Nikkei both closing down More than 2%. You can see a lot of red on your screen there. Europe, they're just getting started. Kind of a similar trend. 
more red, declines not as big. We are seeing declines, but two, three-tenths of 1% across Maine. Look at old Switzerland. Is that Switzerland or Austria? Either way, there you go. Look at old Switzerland. The lone green spot there in a, what we call it, a sea of red in the most overused TV segment ever. All right. Now to that story from Egypt. A massive container ship has run aground in the Suez Canal, and it is blocking ships both ways in one of the world's busiest and most important waterways. Look at that. At least five tugboats are working to free the 1,300-foot, 20,000-container Rotterdam-bound ship, the Ever Given, owned by Taiwan's Evergreen. This after strong winds reportedly blew the massive ship off course. At least 15 northbound ships and one southbound ship have had to drop anchor in the canal waiting for that traffic jam to be cleared. Dozens more ships are en route. Now, about 50 ships on average pass through the Suez every day. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but it accounts for about 12% of the world's daily container and oil and gas trade. Now, Egypt's Suez Canal Authority says it will divert traffic to one of the canal's older branches until that ship has been freed. This is likely to cause even more delays in the already logjam container market. We're going to bring you more, certainly, as we have it. And hopefully, we're going to get that ship sued for free and sued. You saw that. I mean, literally, it was sideways blocking nearly the entire canal. Nothing like that has occurred in decades in the Suez. Well, that is not the only big thing happening this Wednesday morning. Let's get to some of this morning's other top stories. Bertha Coombs is here now with those. Good morning, Bertha. Good morning, Brian. The European Union is looking to curb its COVID-19 vaccine exports for at least six weeks, according to a draft legislation made public this morning. Officials say vaccines from AstraZeneca, Pfizer and Moderna could all be affected. And while the UK is likely to be the biggest loser if implemented, Canada and Israel could also suffer. Meantime, Amazon is naming Adam Solipsky to replace Andy Jassy as the next Amazon Web Services chief executive. The move marks Solipsky's return to Amazon after leaving in 2016 to become the CEO of data analytics platform Tableau Software, which was then acquired by Salesforce for more than $15 billion. Originally one of the first vice presidents hired in 2005 to work at Amazon Web Services, known as AWS, Mr. Solipsky worked closely with Jassy in his 11 years at Amazon and was a key executive who helped build out the cloud computing unit. And Intel says that it will spend $20 billion to build two new chip factories in Arizona. The announcement's coming amid CEO Pat Gelsinger's first public remarks since taking over the job back in February. Shares of Intel rising on the news, but rivals, notably Taiwan Semiconductor, falling in overnight trade, Brian, and certainly pretty good news for the chip equipment makers that Intel is going to be investing so much. Yeah. And and by the way, Bertha, all my little brain could think about was energy. You're out there in Arizona. How much air conditioning and power are we going to take to run these things? It goes back to that. Everybody's building in warm climates. And I myself volunteer to spearhead the CNBC Phoenix Bureau if needed. (laughs) Certainly this time of a year. I don't think you want to be there in August. <laughs> no, that's their, that's their winter. You're right. Bertha Coombs, thank you. We'll see you in a few minutes. All right. Good news for Phoenix there. All right. 
Now it's back to your money. Stocks fell Tuesday despite some attempts at calming words from Fed Chair Jay Powell and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Powell himself conceding, while some parts of the market may look a little rich, the nation's largest banks remain flush with cash and look otherwise healthy. Some asset prices are a bit high, but the the banking system is highly capitalized um, and uh, funding risk is is relatively modest. The remainder is the the remaining category is really leverage among households and businesses, which is somewhat elevated, but but uh, nothing like it was before the financial crisis. All right. Joining us now is Global X ETFs head of research and strategy, Jay Jacobs. And uh, Jay, we're going to get to more on energy and some of your thoughts and picks in just a second. But on a macro level, you know, is Jay Powell or Janet Yellen really in charge of this market like they used to be in financial crisis? I have argued this is not a financial crisis. Seventy percent of the U.S. economy, according to Goldman Sachs, is humming along and Americans are doing just fine. This is a health crisis that caused a financial crisis in certain parts of the industry. Is this something the Federal Reserve and or the Treasury can really move the needle on? I think the Federal Reserve and the Treasury are willfully taking themselves out of the markets right now. I think they'd see their job as being done, having gotten the economy to the point that it is. Uh, We've obviously seen massive amounts of monetary stimulus that has raised asset prices and uh, brought liquidity to the markets when it was needed. And I think Jay Powell is basically saying, you know, for the most part, barring any major issues, uh, it's up to other areas of the economy now. It's going to be up to fiscal stimulus. If the Biden administration is looking to pass a major infrastructure bill, and it's up to, you know, the private sector to continue to generate growth opportunities going forward. But I think it's a very intentional choice to take a step back for the Fed right now. Okay, so where do you think those private sector opportunities are going to be, Jay? Well, I think the major opportunities right now are related to reflation. Uh, We just saw, you know, 1.9 trillion passed uh, in fiscal stimulus and another 3 trillion is now on deck with infrastructure. Uh, This is really probably going to stimulate more economic activity, but also increase inflation. Areas that have historically done very well in this type of environment are metals like copper uh, tend to be very leveraged to inflation. Energy stocks, in particular midstream, like the uh, oil and natural gas complex that moves those energy uh, supplies around the country. Uh, And some other areas related to financials, like preferred stocks, could do very well as well as rising interest rates could uh, increase profitability among banks uh, in the United States as well. You know, I just talked to Bertha. We talked about the need for energy, not just oil and gas, but energy of all kinds. We've got the president talking about a $3 trillion sort of infrastructure, energy, social type spending program as well. All of that seems to bring you back to your MXLP ETF. Now, this is more than I think the pipeline side, but you believe there are also tax advantages, dividend advantages in an industry that, while it gets its knocks, is not going away anytime soon. The United States has been one one of the most powerful oil producers in the world. Uh, you know, up there with Russia and Saudi Arabia in production. 
that oil and natural gas has to get moved around the country. It has to go from West Texas to uh, to Corpus Christi to be you know exported. It has to go from uh, you know Pennsylvania and shale drilling regions out to the Northeast, where a lot of it is consumed. That requires a massive amount of uh, energy complex to be built around that pipelines and storage facilities. Master Limited Partnerships are those companies that are doing that. Uh, they've historically traded at extremely low valuations in the last five years or so, uh, but are essentially very critical parts of the U.S.'s energy strategy. So uh, we believe in this reflationary environment where we're seeing oil prices recover pretty uh, significantly and we're seeing this bit of a rotation from growth to value. Uh, that these very cheap energy-related stocks uh, and master limited partnerships are very well positioned in this environment. The MXLP, Jay Jacobs, we are watching that as well. Global X ETFs, we appreciate it, Jay. Good to see you again. Have a great day. Thank you. All right, when we come back, this morning's big money movers, including shares of GameStop getting hammered a bit in the pre-market. We'll show you and tell you why. Plus, why a vaccine could or may have to be your ticket to ride. We'll talk about the controversial idea of vaccine passports ahead and why not everybody is getting on board. And later, where are the shots? Why J&J could be falling short on its COVID-19 vaccine pledge. Dow futures up 113. This is the hour still ahead. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. It is 514 here. Nice and early on a Wednesday morning. Seems like a good time to hit three of your big money movers today. You ready? I am, sort of. Stock one, Adobe. Reporting higher first quarter profit and revenue and raising its projections for the year. Company also, though, announcing that CFO John Murphy will retire. Apparently wants to spend more time with his family and focus on philanthropy. Imagine that. Anyway, not hurting the stock too much. It is down about, well, we'll call it flat after hours. Stock number two, maybe the stock of 2021 so far. That is GameStop. What else? The retailer reporting lower than expected fourth quarter adjusted earnings and sales. But check this out. Maybe all the attention is helping. Same store sales rising 7%, but online sales up 175%. GameStop says it is laying the groundwork for a transformation from just a brick-and-mortar seller of video games to a more laser-focused, tech-focused business, asset light. And considering whether to sell new shares, investors, though, they didn't really care about that jump. They wanted more shares down 
11% in the pre-market, probably on the idea that more stock would be sold. And speaking of that, stock number three, Viacom CBS. Shares are lower today. They fell 9% on yesterday. That was after the media company said that it would raise, you guessed it, $3 billion from an additional stock offering to help bulk up streaming content for its new Paramount Plus stock down about 9%. Still, though, look at that. It has been a red-hot year for Viacom CBS. Stock is up 124% in 2021. All right, still on deck. Cash, credit, or Bitcoin. Kind of a dealer's choice at your local Tesla dealer starting today. We'll get you more on that and your other top trending stories coming up. Today's big number, $39 billion. That's how big Goldman Sachs expects the U.S. sports gambling market to reach by 2033. Driven by favorable legislation and consumer adoption. That's up from $900 million today. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, time now for your daily vaccine update and where we really stand in the rollout. Now, overall in the United States, nearly 84 million people have received at least one dose. Looking at adults specifically, more than 32% have gotten at least their initial shot. 18% are fully vaccinated. Overall, more than 128 million doses of vaccine have been given out. Still a long way to go, but a positive sign, certainly overall. In many states, you've got 70 or even 80 percent of the population, which has already been vaccinated or have been likely exposed to the virus as well. Something certainly to watch. All right. Well, as more around the world, not just here, get vaccinated, there is a new growing debate around the idea of a so-called vaccine passport, a document, your card or an app. That would show that you've been given the shot and pose no threat to anybody. An example, just yesterday, the Miami Heat basketball team said that it will have a section in the stands at games for show for those who show they have been vaxxed. Could happen on planes and maybe even at restaurants as well. But it also raises a lot of privacy and inequality concerns. Many people can't or simply won't get vaccinated and cannot be forced to do so. Let's talk about all of this. With Andrew Budd, he is founder and CEO of iProve. His company received a grant to develop passport vaccine technology and started trials with the National Health Service of the UK in January. Andrew, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, how would the idea of a, of a vaccine passport, to, to iProve anyway, look? So we call it actually a vaccine certificate rather than a vaccine passport, Brian. The idea is that you'd have a, a fact about you. You'd have a, the fact that you've been vaccinated uh, associated with your face. And any time you wanted to gain access, say, to a, a ball game or, or premises, you would just authenticate your face, and that would show that you were the rightful owner of a vaccine certificate. The great thing about this approach is there's no, pri- there's no PII uh, other than your face involved. You don't need to hand over your name and your date of birth. don't need to show ID. So the idea is to, is to reassure the guys who need to be sure that you're safe without, without breaching your privacy. How would it link the face to the proof of vaccination without identification? 
So either when the vaccination first takes place, literally in the vaccination centre, or later on, if there's some digital information available from a, a public health authority, you would, uh, you would enrol yourself to this scheme. So many public health authorities worldwide are preparing to provide um, the vaccine certificates, which would typically be in the form of um, a barcode, uh, a secured barcode, which would uh, enable uh, the reader to be sure that a genuine vaccine certificate has been created within the records of the public health authority, uh, and then uh, the reader can be sure of it. It's, it'll be associated with your name, it'll be associated with your date of birth. What can then happen is that that's transferred to a much more privacy-respecting system to which you enroll your face. Get rid of the name, get rid of the date of birth. From now on, you just authenticate with your face. It's going to work differently in different countries because different countries have different public health uh, electronic records. At the moment, the World Health Organization is actually standardizing this so that not only will we be able to do this domestically, but also when we travel. Well, you can imagine, Andrew, and you've, you've mentioned the word privacy a number of times. I mean, you're in the U.K., we're here in the U.S. You can already see, I'm sure, and have heard the uproar. People saying, no, way. first off, a lot of people, maybe, I don't know, 30 to 40 percent of the population, at least here, aren't going to get vaccinated. Hard stop. They're not going to do it. Is that going to prevent them from getting into anything or anywhere they want to go? Because doctors will tell you if you've had COVID and you have the antigens, you're probably just as safe as anybody that's been vaccinated. So why shouldn't they be given a, a quote, passport as well? So I think this is really sensitive and delicate uh, legal, social, cultural ground for all of us. Uh, frankly, I'm not going to I'm not going to pine about this. I'm an engineer and a technologist. Our job is to put is to provide the technology that makes this easy, safe and private to use. How it's used and what the social limits on its uses, I think, is a matter for public debate. It's a matter for public, public for politicians, for civil society to decide. It, in some cases, it'll be a matter of the law. In Europe, we're governed by the GDPR, which you may know is one of the strictest privacy respecting mm -hmm. regimes in the world. So there are various things that actually you, you simply can't do. Um, in, in many contexts, it would actually be illegal to, to prevent access, access to a service um, if someone didn't reveal their sensitive medical history and a vaccination certificate is effectively a piece of sensitive medical history. But I think there needs yeah, to be a I kinda, public Yeah, I kind of picture it, right. Andrew. It, I'm sure you're, you're probably, a, or at least were, a frequent traveler, like so many of our CNBC viewers are. And, you know, I use the clear program as well. You put the fingerprints down, you stare into the thing. I've actually heard about businesses using that platform kind of as the vaccine passport as well. But that's a different product. You know, there are people who opt in and there are people who, who say, no, I'm not even going to do TSA pre-check here in the United States. Is that kind of how you view it? You're going to build the system for people that want to use it and feel comfortable, but there will be ways around it for those who simply don't want to do it. And by the way, their access to things may be limited, at least in the near term. I think that's absolutely essential. Look, the whole, the whole basis for the way that we do things that I prove is social inclusion. So I, personally, I believe that these things mustn't be an instrument of social exclusion. I think it's got to be a question of choice. This has got to be about facilitating people who want to use it to have, a slight, to have an easier and simpler life. Um, I, I would be very uncomfortable if it became any kind of instrument of social exclusion. I think, that would, I think society wouldn't accept that and it would be unfair. 
But building it out, and, and by the way, you're not the only one. It is going to be a hot topic, certainly, but you're making the technology possible. Andrew Budd of iProve. Andrew, an important conversation. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thanks very much, Brian. Yeah, so folks, what do you think? Hit us up on Twitter. Would you do a vaccine passport? Give all your data to get access to planes, stadiums, or even restaurants? Let us know. Maybe I'll throw a poll up on Twitter and we'll do it tomorrow. How about that? I just I just said that we'll do it. All right, straight ahead. Call this the triple A trade. No, it's got nothing to do with bonds. It's what your next guest says. Maybe the best three stocks in the world to own right now. And that video of all those iPhones is just one hint. And a reminder, if you miss the show any day or maybe you're out on the road, don't worry. You can subscribe to our podcast. It's on Apple, Spotify, and other podcasting platforms. By the way, got a pretty high rating. Thank you. But, you know, feel free to leave a five-star nice review if you are so inclined. And March is Women's History Month, and we are spotlighting some of our CNBC reporters and friends. Here is Leslie Josephs on the best advice she's received. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got was to be persistent. And if somebody doesn't call you back, call them again. If somebody, if you're applying for a job, you know, email that person. Um, be proactive. If you're interested in a job, network before there's even a position open. So just kind of taking initiative and being persistent and then don't take anything personally if somebody doesn't call you back. The market strength coming into question is a growing chorus of voices wonder if the rally of the last year can really keep going. But don't tell that to Jay Powell or Janet Yellen. They say sky-high stock prices are nothing to worry about. Tech has investors worried lately. It's been a weak start to the year for many big names, but your next guest says, don't worry. Stay with the A's and you'll make some green. We'll tell you why and name some names. And it's official. Robinhood readying to go public as it tries to put the Reddit rebellion behind it. Maybe they're right. Maybe there is no such thing as bad press. It is Wednesday, March 24th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome or welcome back and good morning. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us here on Worldwide Exchange. All right, we are coming off a pretty big Tuesday slide for most of the major averages. Yesterday, of course, Dow was down 300 or more, driven by Caterpillar and its big drop. But things looking a little better this morning. We are seeing Dow futures up about 100. But look at the NASDAQ technology, which had been a little shaky to start the year, looking strong, at least right now. NASDAQ futures up even more than Dow futures on an absolute basis, up 111 points. Now, yesterday, pretty much all the major averages, you pick it, and it was down, with many saying that just, listen, hey, the recent strength that we have seen simply cannot continue. Many of these markets, small caps, whatever, are likely overbought. And look at small caps, because they were and are something to watch. Of course, they have been maybe the hottest of all the indexes the last couple of months, but cooled off yesterday and a little bit lately here. Just watch it. The Russell 2000, dropping more than 3.5% on Tuesday alone. That's its worst day since June. We are watching you, Russell, and the rest of the small caps. Well, of course, the market's largely determined by the vaccine rollout. And the vaccine rollout has been strong here in the United States. We are the 
most vaccinated large nation in the world. But the hope that we could ramp it up even another notch with the J&J vaccine coming out was strong. But lately, there have been more questions about where exactly are all of the J&J shots? Bertha Coombs is back with that and some of this morning's other top stories. Yeah, Bertha, a lot of hope that once J&J came in, we might go to three and a half million shots a day. But we're just we're just not hearing a lot about the J&J vaccine lately. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that's it's harder to do this than than it looks. Johnson and Johnson reportedly behind in its goal of delivering 20 million of its single shot vaccines by the end of this month. According to Politico, the Biden administration says it has received only four million doses of that vaccine to deliver next week. The report cites logistical complications and regulatory delays for that lag. Politico adds that J&J is pushing back on comments that it won't hit its target. Meantime, Bloomberg reporting the FDA has granted emergency use authorization to J&J's contract manufacturer to make the vaccine's active ingredient and ship and the filled and finished product, likely uh, helping within the day with the delays. The founder of Tencent, meantime, has reportedly met with Chinese antitrust officials amid increasing scrutiny on the social media and video game company. Reuters saying that Pony Ma met with the officials this month to discuss compliance at his group. The report suggests that the meeting is the latest indication that China's antitrust crackdown, which began with Alibaba last year, could expand to other companies. And Robinhood making it official, filing confidential paperwork to pursue its long-expected initial public offering. CNBC has previously reported the company has chosen the Nasdaq for that offering. The move is the latest chapter in a whirlwind 2021 for Robinhood, which saw a surge in users amid the Reddit-fueled trading frenzy in January that subsequently got the company in hot water with Congress. This is going to be very interesting to see what kind of details they talk about in their IPO, Brian, and what it means for Goldman Sachs, which is one of its investors, one of its big partners. A lot of folks are going to be watching this. It's got to be the fastest turn from congressional hearings to a potential <laughs> IPO in, in, in global market. A month ago, it's like, is Robin Hood going to survive? Now today we're like, oh, the IPO's <laughs> coming. Amazing, Bertha. Well, it certainly has brand See name recognition. <laughs> That's it. There's no bad press. Bertha, thank you. All right. Well, a developing story this morning. This is bad press, at least for one ship. I could already shake up an already shaky situation in global trade. Look at that. Okay, that is a massive container ship that has run aground in the Suez Canal. Show that again. It's gone completely sideways. Literally, imagine a car blocking an entire lane or the only lane of a road It is blocking traffic both ways in one of the world's most important waterways. According to latest data from Vessel Finder, at least five tugboats are trying desperately to free the 1,300-foot, 20,000-container ship Ever Given, which is owned by Taiwan's Evergreen. Apparently, strong winds blew that big ship off course. We'll see. At least 15 northbound ships and one southbound ship are stuck at anchor waiting to pass, with, of course, many more ships currently on their way to the Suez. The Suez is massively important to global trade. About 50 ships go through it daily, and that may not sound like a whole lot, but it's actually about 12% of the world's global trade volume every day. 
through the Suez. Now, the Egyptian Canal Authority says it will divert traffic to the canal's older branch until that ship has been freed. That is not the kind of problem you want to have in the Suez. All right, back to the markets now, and maybe a continued focus on technology stocks. Once the rally leaders are now falling behind amid rising rates and a rotation by some out of growth names. And if you're counting at home, and who's not if you're watching CNBC, since the February 12th peak, the NASDAQ is now down more than 5.5%. Among some of the big names in the sector, Apple, one of the biggest laggards actually in the NASDAQ. And maybe random but interesting, Apple is down 7.5% to date, making it the worst performing Dow stock in 2021. But of course, context is key. And to be fair, Apple investors have done just fine, thank you very much, still doubling their investment dollar over the past year. So let's talk more now about Apple and two other big tech names. We're joined now by Daniel Flax, senior research analyst at Newberger Berman. I feel like Sesame Street, Daniel, that this part of the show can be brought to you by the letter A, because all three of your (laughs) names begin with A's. We could probably guess the other two, but let's start with Apple. A little shaky lately. Why has it been weak? And are you buying into that weakness? Good morning, Brian. Great to be with you. I think Apple remains attractive over the next couple of years, and it's really driven by the broadening of its growth drivers. Uh, the iPhone remains healthy. We're seeing good growth from iPad and Mac due to, to work from home and, and learn from home. And really, you have areas like services, with the, which are healthy, and the wearables category, uh, the watch, the AirPods, really, it's just getting going. So there are, of course, risks, but I think the company is executing well on the product cycles, which set, sets it up nicely uh, as we look out into uh, the rest of this year and into next year. All right. The next one, as we move up the letter chain, is Alphabet. I still have trouble with that. I still like to call it Google, Daniel, because, I mean, that's Google is basically their business. They got a couple other things, but... Alphabet is Google. There's changing of algorithms. There's changing of privacy. There's changing of the way that advertisers can get their metrics. It doesn't sound like any of that is worrying you around Google. Well, Brian, I think it's a continued evolution of of the Google platform or Alphabet, however we want to term it. And really, it's about delivering value to its users, delivering value to, to advertisers. And so I think the core search business is healthy. Uh, YouTube is strong. There is always going to be an element of changing algorithms, evolving the platform. I think that's critical to to maintaining the the vibrancy of the Google platform. The other big thing that we're focused on is the Google Cloud platform. And that's a business that's targeting enterprise users who can use Google's uh, cloud computing uh, platform to, to, to run their own IT. And from all the research we do when we talk to customers, that business is really in its infancy. So a lot to like uh, uh, with Google or Alphabet over the next uh, 12 to 24 months. And while many of us terrified to go outside for a couple of months last year, things have changed. Amazon just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And it sounds like a lot of the things that we did because we had to, now we do because we want to, and that the, the Amazonification of America is here to stay. Uh, Brian, a- Amazon's a continued focus, a story of focusing on its customers and, and clearly throughout the pandemic. And, and really, as we think about the world post-pandemic, Amazon is becoming more and more critical to, to, to consumers, to businesses. So if we look at the prime membership, 
Uh, it's continuing to deliver a lot of value in terms of uh, both the delivery, uh, the, the free delivery, uh, as well as content, the Amazon Web Services. We've seen throughout the pandemic that customers, enterprise customers, as well as consumers, are relying increasingly on the cloud. And we see that only accelerating in the years ahead. And then lastly, they have some other businesses like advertising, which we think could become a more important part of the story over the next couple of years. So a lot to like here. Uh, there is, of course, risk with Amazon, Apple, uh, Alphabet. But these companies are continuing to innovate, to invest. And really, the key is to delight yeah. their customers and bring value. Alphabet, Amazon, Apple. Tomorrow we'll have you on. We'll go through the Bs. Daniel Flax, Newburger <laughs> Berman. Good. Always appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you very Thank much. You. All right, coming up, the huge health risk brought on by the pandemic that has nothing to do with COVID. You've got to hear this RBI. Plus, Elon Musk officially giving the green light to snag a Tesla with just one Bitcoin, if you please. We'll get details on that and some of the other top trending stories on this Wednesday morning. We're back right after this. All right, time now for your morning RBI. And this most random but interesting thing is not one that we want to bring to you, but it's important, so we will. If you're one of the millions who have gained some weight during the lockdowns, you aren't alone. In fact, a large number of Americans are reporting weight gain, some of it significant over the past year. In some cases, they've gained a great deal of weight. A new survey from the American Psychological Association, meant to highlight depression and mental health struggles, also found out something else, that 42% of American adults that they surveyed anyway reported gaining weight. And incredibly, the average weight gained is 29 pounds, nearly 30 pounds per person. And though weight was gained across all age groups, it was the millennials, those 25 to 42, who felt the impact of the pandemic and the lockdowns the hardest. Again, of those surveyed by the APA, 48% of millennials said they gained weight they did not want to. And of those millennials who did gain weight, they gained an average of 41 pounds. Now, Gen Xers and boomers also gained weight, but not nearly as much. Depression, lack of activities, loss of social comfort, and a 23% jump in drinking alcohol, all largely playing a role. Of course, most restaurants were closed, with really the only things open were fast food. Another article I read showed that steps taken, walking, dropped 30% last year as compared to previous years based on cell phone data. And though we often like to have fun on this RBI segment, who wants to be all serious at 5.45 in the morning? This is not one of those times. Obesity is a serious business. Millions suffering serious health consequences because of it, costing hundreds of thousands of early deaths every year. Call this random but important. By the way, if you're curious about that survey, I posted it to my Twitter and my LinkedIn as well. Got some work to do coming out of this. All right. Buying a model three with crypto privacy concerns at Disney parks and maybe a special VIP seating section at NBA games. If, of course, you've been given the job. Bertha Coombs is here now with more on that. And today's top trending stories. Would you buy a Tesla with a Bitcoin, Bertha? 
Well, it's kind of interesting, right? Because of the fluctuation in the price. Elon Musk just tweeting that you can now buy a Tesla with Bitcoin. Tesla had indicated a month ago in its 10K filing that it would be adding the option while also disclosing the company had invested one and a half billion dollars in the cryptocurrency. Now, Musk adding that Bitcoin payment will not be converted to any fiat currency, rather retained as Bitcoin. It is currently only available in the US. So maybe you buy it on a day when Bitcoin is at a dip, you get it cheaper. Disney, meantime, has begun testing facial recognition as part of entry into its parks. The tech will scan visitors' faces and convert the picture to a unique ID that can be used throughout the park. Guests will have to keep their masks on for the scan, and Disney says the data will be discarded within 30 days after the visit. And the Miami Heat announcing they will have vaccinated-only sections for fans in their stadium starting April 1st. Two sections will be dedicated to fans who have been fully vaccinated for at least 14 days, where masks will still be required, but social distancing will be relaxed. The Heat is the first NBA team to reveal such a plan. And, you know, Brian, in the first half hour, you talked about the vaccine passports clear as part of one of these uh, vaccine passport initiatives. So, you know, they do the biometric screening with your eyes and a lot of stadiums do have that. So we're likely going to see some sort of mixture of this biometric vaccine passport, because for one thing, you don't want to lose that little card. No, take pictures of it, by the way, laminate it, right? You can save it. I spoke with a big mm-hmm. restaurateur, not, it's, it, and it's, it's not my friend in Houston. It's a New York-based restaurateur that talked <laughs> about using Clear to get into their restaurants, where you would update, update your vaccine information. So if you wanted to go out, to, if you and I wanted to you know, meet for a drink or something after work, when, when people do that again. By the way, I've got my first work dinner next week in person in New York. I can't wait. I've I got to find pants, I guess. Wow. Um, Bertha, where you would use the clear system <laughs> to, to get into the restaurant. There's going to be a lot of dystopian privacy George Orwell type stuff going on here. You know that. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, if you're already enrolled, obviously, it's one of those things that you already use. I mean, I'm not traveling, but that's when I I generally used it. So for those who are already enrolled, it it is a natural thing to sort of try to use it for this. Yeah, it's great. By the way, I'm not promoting it. I use it. It's great. And and I mean, I'll probably get yelled at by I've flown like 12 times in the last six months, gone to 17 states or whatever during the pandemic. Bertha Coombs, thank you. Don't at me, folks. Doing my job on the road. All right, on deck. Just how strong will the American economy really be as we put the pandemic behind us? Because we will. Morgan Stanley's Ellen Zetner is here. All right, welcome back here. Let's talk now about the U.S. economy and our recovery from that as well. Dow futures up 102 points right now. NASDAQ futures up 122. We've got Jay Powell and Janet Yellen completing second day of their testimony today. But where exactly does the U.S. economy go from here? Let's bring in Ellen Zentner, chief U.S. economist at Morgan Stanley. Ellen, it's good to have you back on again as well. With all due respect to Powell and, and Yellen, we, you know, I, I think vaccines are the best stimulus that we're, or at least, you know, immunity of some kind is going to be the best stimulus that we certainly have. Uh, I put out on Twitter sort of not, not as a prediction that we would have 5% unemployment by the end of the year. I'm bullish. Uh, what do you think? You think the job market will heat up that much? 
Yeah, so I think you're spot on with the unemployment rate. Um, and I think if it goes even lower than that, we shouldn't be surprised. And we really shouldn't be surprised wow. how big growth goes this year. Uh, you know, think about where we were at this time last year. We kept revising forecasts uh, across the street, rapidly trying to understand how deep the drop in economic activity would be, how much job loss we would have. Fast forward to the end of last year, and growth wasn't nearly as negative as we thought it would be. And here we are, I think, entering the spring, uh, and we're going to be in an opposite situation, I think, where we're going to be revising upward forecasts, trying to catch up to the vaccine rollout and people reacting to that. We really do want to try to get back to some semblance of normalcy. And I think it's going to be very difficult to try to keep up with just what that could mean for growth. Well, I, I appreciate I appreciate you, you saying I'm right. I, I'm kind of shocked by that. It's more fun if we disagree, Ellen, I think. But every place around me that I see in New Jersey, well, it's either if, if it's not shut down permanently, has a help wanted sign. And according yeah. to the JOLT survey, there's what, 6.5 or whatever, 6.9 million open jobs in the United States. I'm beginning to wonder, is the biggest hindrance to growth and job growth and economic recovery having simply enough workers, especially as, you know, a lot of people have moved from where they used to live and, of course, extended unemployment. And I'm not suggesting anybody out there is lazy or whatever. Nobody I, I would extend it if I didn't want to get sick at work as well. But I have had business owners say, I can't find anybody. I can't find workers. Yeah. So I think that that, that can be something that hinders full recovery. And the thing is, Brian, we were going into the downturn and already it was it had floated back to the top of the list of number one complaints for small businesses, uh, lack of skilled labor. And so here we are coming into a time where we're going to need to draw back hundreds of thousands of workers a month. And still that complaint is there, lack of workers. And so what have businesses had to do? They've had to get out ahead of this. And we're seeing labor costs, pressures rise. And that's one reason why we do believe that inflation will be more sustained. It's not just transitory this year. Um, it's going to take into 2022 to really be able to look back and say, aha, some of these inflationary pressures are not just transient, uh, as the Fed hopes, uh, that they are more sustained and they're coming from tighter labor market and those wage cost pressures that are going to, to yeah. hamper recovery of some small businesses. You know, and, and in no way, Ellen, am I, am I sort of mocking Powell or Yellen whatsoever. I, what they, I respect both individuals very much and what they do very much. But, but we, you know, everything I've read from you and other smart people have said this is not a run-of-the-mill financial crisis. This is 20 to 30 percent of the population got obliterated. Small business, travel, leisure, hospitality literally wiped out across much of the country, while the rest of America, about 70 percent, sat home and saved more money because they weren't traveling or commuting or buying new clothes. How hard has this period been for you and your decades of experience to get a handle on, because we're kind of treating it like it's a, a I, are low rates going to matter when it comes to this making sure people aren't afraid to go back to school? Yes, I think we are in a very unique environment. I mean, this is one reason why it's been such a tough time for um, economists to get a handle on, on, on the economy. The reason why we were surprised that growth wasn't uh, more deeply negative last year was fiscal stimulus. I mean, no one would have thought going into this uh, crisis, even with the economy fully shut down, that we would have some $5 trillion in fiscal stimulus 
uh, uh, and and counting yeah. possibly. Uh, and so that's a, that's a been a big lift, but it's been a necessary lift and something that is just a game changer for how we think about cyclical downturns. Yeah. On top of $1 trillion in excess household savings, according to Goldman Sachs, and that's before stimulus. Ellen Zentner, Morgan Stanley, always a thoughtful discussion. Ellen, good to see you. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. All right. And that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. I'm going to put that Twitter poll up about vaccine passports. Maybe we'll do something on it tomorrow. Who knows? Thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk Box is next with NASDAQ futures up more than 100 points. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.